I too want to greet you in Jesus' precious name this morning. It's amazing to me how God works at times. I was planning, when Terrell gave me this message, to share to share on the prayer shawl, the Jewish prayer shawl, and I even bought one. And uh, it just it just didn't seem to work out right. Kevin basically said what I was going to say this morning in a in a very short time. I'm going to be a little bit longer. But the things that are happening around us, brothers and sisters, the things that are, that the falling away that I see, and that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, how so many are falling away. Now, what do I mean by falling away? Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But we need to endure. And that's, that's what I really want you to catch this morning. We need to endure to the end. Regardless of what's happening and who's happening. You know, it's happening in our families. It's happening in our churches. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case here, but I want to encourage you not to let those things discourage you that we fall away. People are doing their own thing. They're forgetting about God. They're forgetting what God has said. I I look back a little bit in the aspect of maybe when this all started, and I'm not sure that I have the answer to that, but you go back to the baby boomers, those of us who were born in from, what is it, 46 to, to 64. And then from that point on, it things seems like things just get worse and worse. But we were taught to respect the things of the church. We were taught to respect God. We were taught to respect authority. And something has happened. And that's no longer the case in so many places. But let's not fall away and let's endure to the end. I want to look in Hebrews a little bit later here, a number of verses, but So how do we endure to the end? Matthew 10.22 says, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be what? Saved. Matthew 24.13, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And I'm sure there's other verses that would... uh, have the same idea. But we also have verses like in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That word depart there in the Greek means to stand away from, to leave, to separate. Those who apostatize are the ones who have professed at one time to hold the faith, but now they have departed from it. In 2 Timothy 4, 1, it says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, 
For the times will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And then verse 4 says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And again, that word turn away means to turn back or to away from. Second Thessalonians 2.3 Let no man despise you by any means that that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. The words falling away there is, is apostasia where we get our word apostasy from. It's a defection from truth, a falling away, a forsaking of what we know and what we have maybe had held, but we are falling away. In Hebrews 3.12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And that word departing goes back to the first one that I gave, and that is to stand away from, to separate. Now, you may ask, can this happen to a believer? Can you? Can a believer fall away? Yes. Thank you, Toro. Yes, a believer can fall away. We would have a lot of churches today and a lot of ministers saying that you cannot fall away. Well, we wouldn't have these verses if that would be true. It's, it certainly could be true of, of those who profess to believe, and I think I've seen it. I think probably most of us have seen it. And it's very important to realize that God was angry with sin. And what was their sin in, in these verses that, were, that I just looked at? It wasn't, it wasn't murder. It wasn't stealing. It wasn't lying. What was it? It was a falling away from what they knew was right. They didn't believe God. That was their sin. Jesus told us in the parable of the sower that people falling away from the faith would be a regular part of our experience. However, I hope that that doesn't happen with any of us here. We certainly don't want that to be our personal experience. Now in the book of Hebrews, the book that is devoted to the topic of believers who are tempted and actually do fall away from the faith, who have you known who has fallen away? Probably all of us know someone that we would say, at least it appears we either know or it appears like they have fallen away. And sometimes I wonder who's next. Who's going to be the next one? So what can I do? And what could they have done to prevent an outcome that like that? It's a tragic outcome to their spiritual lives. I myself was told by a member of my family that I need to quit reading the Bible through my Amish Mennonite glasses. You think someone has fallen away? What is what were they saying? They're saying what you're reading and what you have been taught is not necessarily true. 
You can't believe that. Things have changed. Kevin mentioned God's word didn't change, and I agree with him. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change. We may change, but God won't. I just noticed a survey this week. Barna, whoever they are, but you hear that often, that they did a survey, and it said, they said that 75% of young people fall away from the truth. 75% of the young people in churches are falling away. And you know one of the, the next line that it said, the reason for it? They are brought up on pizza and entertainment. Where is the word of God? Where is the Bible studies? Where are those things anymore? Well, I said I want to go to Hebrews, and in Hebrews 10, it's clear that the Holy Spirit wants to prevent us from falling away this morning. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to start reading at verse 19. I'm going to read a little bit more than what I thought originally, but uh, kind of get the picture and the setting. Hebrews is the book of better things. There's a better way. There's a better sacrifice. There's all kinds of better things in the book of Hebrews. But my Bible is entitled on on the heading of verse 19, the full assurance of faith. So starting at verse 19 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And here's a phrase that I want you to remember. For an, and so much more, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are approaching his return. Are we going to endure till the end? Or are we going to fall away? Verse 26 For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which After you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became 
companions of them that were so used. For we had, ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, if any man fall away, if any man quit, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But ye are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that the that believe on the saving of the soul. So in regards to drawing back or falling away, he writes to tell us that there are three things that we ought to do to prevent this, this outcome for our spiritual and our eternal lives. There's, they, he acknowledges here that there will be a falling away, that there will be those But he gives three things, I think, and that's what I'd like to point out this morning, to help us, to encourage us to remain true until the end. Those three are, consider the consequences, number one. Number two, remember the joy. Number three, keep the faith. We'll look at those. Now, I'd like for you to think about what might cause you to question your faith. What might cause you to question your faith? What circumstances might lead you to abandon your faith in Christ? Like I said, Jesus in the parable of the sower says that apostasy or people falling away would be a regular experience of the Christian life. He gives some reasons why people will be falling away. In Mark uh, chapter 4, he says that uh, it's the worries of the world the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, affliction or persecution because of the word, and I'm sure there's others. But that's what's mentioned there. And I think we could could consider each one of those, the worries of the world, this world, the deceitfulness of riches, maybe the desire for other things, or even persecution, as was mentioned. What kind of terrible thing would make you fall away? The loss of a companion? The loss of children? Maybe a terrible disease? Unanswered prayer? What desires for other things might cause you to abandon your faith in Christ? I hope none. I hope none. Because we have tremendous promises in his word of what we have as a reward. And we'll look at that a little bit later as to if we remain faithful. Well, let's first consider the consequences. And the consequences are not good for the person who falls away. The writer tells us not to fall away or you'll pay on judgment day. Now, the reason these Jewish believers were considering fall away was persecution. They were thinking about reverting back to Judaism. And the Old Testament sacrifices of bulls and goats, which could never take away the sins. But the writer 
had already made his point. Only Christ's sacrifice pays for sins once and for all, for all people, for all time. It's the blood of Christ. I was glad that we sang the song this morning, Hallelujah for the Blood. I don't think, and we talked about it in our Sunday school class, I don't think we comprehend. And why did God choose blood? That was a question that was asked in Sunday school. Why did God choose blood? We know that it has life, but that's what he chose. And we know that it was shed for Adam and Eve immediately. But it's, it's, it's only his blood. It's not the blood of bulls of goats like Hebrews talks about here. And in verse 26, he said, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I'm putting this in my own words. If we go on sinning after receiving knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So we need to notice here exactly what kind of falling away we're talking about. You know, in the day and age we live, this is not talking about a temporary departure from the faith. I think we all do that, don't we? There's always those times that we backslide. But it's not merely a Christian who has backslidden for a while. But this is a kind of falling away or apostasy that the writer is talking about is a full, willful decision to abandon what we know is true. Both in profession and practice of following Christ. And notice it says to go on sinning. It doesn't say that we go in sin for a little bit and then we repent and we come back. It says if you go on sinning, that indicates the person refuses to repent. He is determined to continue doing what he wants to do, doing his own thing, doing what he feels is right. And feelings don't come into it. God's word is truth. We cannot feel certain ways. It doesn't work that way. But especially emphasized in the original is that it is an intentional or a willful sin. It's not accidental and it's not unintentional. Those happen. The person who is being talked about here willfully, deliberately, determines that he's not going to follow the truth any longer. He's not going to follow Christ. He's not going to go the way that maybe they've been taught or that they know all at once somebody has told them there's a different way, there's a better way. It doesn't work that way. God is faithful and his word is truth and it never changes. In the Old Testament, he mentions the Old Testament. He says in the Old Testament, there were two kinds of sins. Back in Numbers 15, there were unintentional sins and there were sacrifices to cover those sins. And then there were defiant sins, intentional sins, and Numbers says there was no sacrifice for them. That is, this is the kind of sin that we're looking at. The person being described here doesn't just fall into falling away. He intentionally, deliberately, sometimes defiantly decides to abandon Christ and the sacrifice that he made for sins. And as this verse indicates, there is no sacrifice for sins that remain 
for him to claim. There's just none available if you remain in that condition. So even in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats covered, but if it was done intentionally, it tells us there, there was no sacrifice, and Hebrews repeats it. The kind of sin being talked about here is to abandon Christ for a turn to Judaism. However, the general principle is if you deliberately and persistently and willfully abandon Christ, then there is no sacrifice for the sin. Often the decision to abandon Christ and his word comes after we have received a full knowledge of the truth. We know the truth. And it amazes me how people can ignore the truth. People who have brought have been brought up totally different. And the Greek word here for knowledge means not just a passing acquaintance, but you have full and complete knowledge of Christ despite that of your abandoning him. I had to think a little bit of the 12 disciples. Remember there were 11 who all failed. All 12 failed. But there were 11 who failed, but they acknowledged that and repented. But there was one who didn't. There was no sacrifice for Judas. Let's not be like Judas where we walk and talk with God and then fall away and refuse to repent. The end of verse 26 provides us with the first of the consequences there in Hebrews. If there is no sacrifice for sin, then there is no forgiveness of sin. And since there is no substitute to suffer for your sins, you, as a sinner, must pay for your sins. That's God's law. And clearly, this means that the result of falling away from Christ is to experience God's wrath. What's that? Brothers and sisters, that's hell. This is clearly stated in verse 27. There is no, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire for the adversaries. I've got, that's not King James. I just, it's what I came up with there. So it's talking about hell. It's talking about the fury of fire. Fire is usually uh, involved with judgment in the Bible. Hell is the outcome for the person who willfully abandons Christ, having had a full knowledge of what he was doing. Now, there are many who would want to say that this is talking about only a, a loss of rewards a loss of a privilege of inheriting the kingdom with Christ. But the language here simply does not allow for this. And again, I say they're wrong. There would be people that say there is no hell. God is a God of love. And so everything's going to work out. Brothers and sisters, that is not scriptural. It's not right. Is anyone really terrified by the prospect of losing a reward? Says there that it's a terrifying thing. Is anybody? Well, 
maybe depending on the reward, but I don't think we're really terrified. What absolutely terrifies us, or at least me, is the prospect of a spending eternity in hellfire. Do we fear that? And that is precisely what is being described here. It's not me saying it's what the Bible says. And the judgment anticipated on those who fall away is that there will be a fire, which, like I said, is usually associated with God's judgment, that it will literally burn the enemies of God and anyone who rejects Christ's sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Anyone who rejects God and rejects the sacrifice that he has provided The fact that this is speaking of the spiritual or eternal death or hell is reinforced by the following two verses, which assures us of the certainty of God's judgment upon upon such people. Notice verse 28 and 29, again, just reading it, putting it in my own words. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? Now stop and think. Two or three witnesses? Or are we talking about trampling underfoot what God has done? the blood of the covenant. So like I said, what was the punishment for someone who violated Moses' laws? It was immediate physical death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So which is the greater punishment? If we violate this new covenant, trampling underfoot the Son of God, making profane the blood, insulting the Holy Spirit of God's grace, that would be the greater punishment. I had to wonder, you know, we, we're never really told, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think we're ever told exactly what the unpardonable sin is. But I think it's right here. When we trample underfoot and we despise the Holy Spirit's leading, In other words, this isn't just a physical death that it's talking about. It's not just a loss of a spiritual reward. But it would be a spiritual and eternal death. Again, the inescapable conclusion here of falling away from Christ results in the eternal experience of hell. I don't See how you can put it in any other words. When you consider the nature of the sin, disregarding, like I said, the precious blood of Christ, then the judgment is fully deserved. Again, if we don't accept what he has provided for sin, then I'm going to have to provide that myself, and I can't do that. 
God's promises to judge the people in this way. And that is one of the promises of God that none of us want to claim. We want to claim most of the promises of God, but God has said he will judge his people. And that's one of those things that we don't want to claim. He summarizes his point in verse 31 where he said, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Now the fear of God is one way to keep from falling away. We already heard that this morning. Fear God and eternal hellfire and you'll think again before you abandon Christ. The fear of God will keep you from falling away if nothing else will. Isn't it the beginning of wisdom that Psalms tells us? And in, the, in this case, the end of wisdom, because it's also going to bring us to the end where we want to be. Now, we've been talking about the eternal consequences for ourselves, so to speak. But I'd like to mention, what about the consequences for others who depend on you? Okay, you're living for the Lord, you say, and then you throw it all out and you go do your own thing or you go to another church where you can do what you want to do, whatever it may be. That's the consequences for you, but have you ever considered the falling away from Christ for your family, for your friends, maybe especially your children? Will they fall away also because of your falling away? Will your selfish, rebellious, defiant decision destroy not only your eternal future, but their faith and their future as well? So number one, consider the consequences. Now we can change gears a little bit. Number two, remember, the second one is remember the joy. Remember the joy. Remember the love and the joy of caring for and being there for each other. Now, these believers here had suffered previously, and they had suffered greatly, but with great joy. In verses 32 through 34, it says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great affliction, a conflict of suffering. He's saying you experienced great joy from being there for each other, loving each other through the good times, through the bad times. We heard last week that we need to, as a congregation, be in teamwork, helping each other, suffering for Jesus and rejoicing that it was a great heavenly reward for doing so. We believe that. That's one of the promises they here had experienced the truth of, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. They had experienced the joy of a committed love for Christ and one another. As Jesus had said, no greater love has a man than this that he gave his life for his friends. We see that in John 15. They had experienced the joy of sacrificing and giving for Christ and for others' sake. And I think Many of us are involved in that. Maybe all of us. I'm not sure. But isn't there joy in doing that? Sure there is. Those are the things we need to remember. When we're doing what Christ asks us to do, there's great joy in doing that. We need to 
If we're thinking about falling away, let's remember the joy that we have in doing the things for Christ that we do. Don't forget the joy and and that the love that you experience from loving each other, being there for each other, and suffering for Christ. We do that together. Don't give up the reward that was promised. Now, here's the reward that was promised that we want to claim. But don't give up the reward that was promised by Jesus for suffering for his name. Remember the quality of joy and love you can experience in no other fellowship on earth. You're going to lose all that if you abandon Christ, if you fall away. You're going to lose all that. And finally, number three, endure because of the great reward. We've been talking about rewards. Well, endure because of that. Isn't it worth it? Is heaven not going to be worth it? Of course it is. I don't think we have any concept, or at least I don't, what streets of gold even look like. And who's going to care? I think there's going to be a lot of other things there that we're going to take more attention of. Jesus being first and foremost. He is the preeminence, right? Endure because of your confidence in the great reward that will be yours for doing so. Verse 35 says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What is that great reward? We've just been talking about it. It's heaven. It's eternal life. It's the kingdom of God. It is being co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom. It is the reward that Jesus assured And that great reward is ours and we can rejoice over it because we have been willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Verse 36 says, For you have need of patience, endurance or endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What's promised? Yes, the kingdom of coming. The kingdom that is coming when the king comes. When he comes, it'll all be ours, but not if I fall away. Verse 37 says, For yet a a very little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he draws back, if he falls away, my soul has no pleasure in him. Very plain, isn't it? My soul has no pleasure in him. So, how can we endure unto the end? By living by faith. When we live by faith in what is promised, we do not live by sight. We don't live by feelings. We don't live by emotions. We live by what the truth is. We persevere. We endure. Why? Because we know our reward is coming. We know our reward is coming. And if And with that encouragement about maintaining their faith in the promise of God for eternal glory in the kingdom to come, he assures them here in verse 39 that he believes that they will not be among those who fall away to destruction. Or the word there means total ruin or judgment. But he believes that those who will have faith in the saving of their souls. Brothers and sisters, we can be a part of that. We can be assured. He assures them that he believes that's where they will be 
I'd like to assure you this morning that that's where all of us can be if we remain faithful and endure to the end. Salvation is in the balance here. We endure, we persevere, we preserve the soul, or we shrink back, we fall away, and destruction awaits. We have a choice. Which one will it be? It's because of our faith, our assurance, our confidence that there is a great reward and that it will be ours as a result of persevering in the faith. So this morning, do you want to endure to the end? Well, consider the consequences of not doing so. Remember the joy of living for him and others and be confident of the reward. It's been promised, and that's one of those promises that each one of us want to claim. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you so much for the great God that you are and what you have done for each one of us. Father, we probably all know of those in family and friends who have fallen away. And it doesn't seem to matter what we say or what we do. They have made a choice. But Father, help us to still be the example that we need to be. And Father, I would pray that not one under the sound of my voice, whether here, on the phone, or wherever, would fall away. We would endure till the end. Father, I don't think that we have long to wait for Jesus' return. We all want to be found waiting for him, waiting for that trumpet sound where we can leave this, this terrible world behind and go to a place that you have prepared for us. So, Father, I would just pray that if anyone is thinking of being defiant, of being rebellious, of being doing the wrong things, of going away from you, that they would think again because of the consequences that await And so, Father, I would just pray that you would just bless each one that is here and help us that we would continue to serve you and to be what you want us to be until you come for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.